Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I was thinking during worship, but when my kids were little, I, I got two adult kids now, Lisa's 28, Tommy's 26, but when they were home and they, and they were young, you know, they would fight like any other kids would fight, right? I mean, brothers and sisters, when they're, you know, six, seven, eight years old, they're going to clash over something or another. And maybe, maybe you parents have been through this before. You don't want your kids to fight. You want them to get along. And so we would we'd grab the two of them, and I'd say, to, I'd say to my daughter, apologize to your brother. And she'd look at him, and she'd say, sorry. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> or my son, the same thing. I grabbed him and said, apologize to your sister. Sorry. And, you know, their whole body you know, language, their tone of voice, the expression on their face, their entire demeanor express anything but genuine heartfelt sorrow. They said the words, but the heart wasn't in it. And really, that's what I want to talk about tonight, uh, this morning. I want to talk about uh, prophetic ministry and love, and how sometimes we could get the words right, but not have the right heart. I think it's important. For the month of July, Phil and I are speaking on the topic of presence. You know, we Worship was all about that today, you know, being lovers of his presence. And so I want to, you know, I want to touch on that this morning as I speak about prophetic ministry and love. My message this morning is inspired by a class I'm taking on Tuesday nights. When I get home from the spoon at, um, at 9 o'clock, I get online. Uh, my, my friends Jim and Mim, Mims Driscoll have a website called Stir the Water. You can go to stirthewater.com, and they, they offer online courses and there's training in, in things like dream interpretation or how to have um, better um, ability to um, hear God and to, and to minister prophetically. Uh, they're just amazing. Jim has a very strong seer gift. He's an amazing teacher. He's, uh, honestly, he's brilliant. I, I would bet, you know, if they did an IQ test on him, he would easily be in a genius level. Um, Jim's taken a lot of the things that we learn uh, from from his uh, time, my time, in Streams Ministries, with John Paul Jackson's materials on hearing God and dream interpretation, and he's just taken the ball and he's run with it, and uh, been able to build on that foundation, and has some great, amazing insights. So I'm a regular participant of his online classes. It's a way that I get fed, and um, I, you know, I highly recommend them. So what I'm going to speak about this morning was inspired by one of his lessons. He's doing a course him and Mims together are doing a class right now called Receiving and Communicating Revelation. Um, and one of their classes, he touched on this topic and it inspired me. I want to share it with you. So I, I highly recommend stirthewater.com. You won't be disappointed. So if you open up 1 Corinthians 14, please follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. St. Paul writes to the people in Corinthians, uh, the Corinthians, the people in Corinth, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are the mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, 
but would rather you have, but would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be edified. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth and power that's in your word. Be merciful today, Lord. Use me to communicate your heart to your people. In Jesus' name. So I really just want to focus on verse 1 there. Verse 1 says, Follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul sums up all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13. So let's just kind of build up to that. In chapter 12, uh, Paul begins by saying, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's introducing the chapter. I want you to be informed concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Verse, one, verse 7 of chapter 12 tells us, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So he's educating them about the things of the Spirit. The reason why they're given is so that it would be for the good of all who are there. Then he goes on to list nine spiritual gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Not the only gifts of the Spirit listed in Scripture, but they're the ones in chapter 12 that Paul's talking about. The rest of chapter 12, um, Paul writes about unity and diversity in the body, especially in how it pertains to the use of the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And then he ends chapter 12 with these words, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you the most excellent way, which, which leads us, it's a great introduction right into chapter 13. And most of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's the, it's the great chapter on love, right? It's his, his amazing statement concerning love. Well, I bet you 85, 90% of the weddings I've ever either um, officiated or attended, something from 1 Corinthians 13 is read during the wedding, right? And here the apostle clearly communicates what love is and what love isn't. And he unequivocally declares that love trumps the gifts of the Spirit. Right? All of chapter 12, he's telling us he doesn't want us to be ignorant to the gifts. He wants them used in the body. Chapter 13, he speaks about love, educating us on what love is and what love isn't, and makes it really clear that love is more important than the gifts. So those are the first, those two chapters. It brings us to the the verse I want to focus on today. He just summarizes chapter 12 and chapter 13 amazingly in one sentence. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So he wants us to not ignore love, even though he, he is twice now in Scripture, in, in chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 14, what sandwiches this this chapter on love, the, just before it, right after it, he tells us to eagerly desire the gifts. But he wants us to do it in a way that we're still following the way of love. It's really possible. For some of you who have been a Christian a long time, I'm thinking, you're probably thinking, oh man, <laughs> how do we get the two of those to work together? It's possible. 
I did a little bit of word study here. Just, just light study looking at Strong's Concordance. The word follow, it's not a leisurely walk or a stroll. Rather, the, imp the implication here is a sprint to the finish line. Think of an Olympic runner in the 100-yard dash. When he says follow, he's, he's, there's intent behind it. There's, there's passion behind it. He says to eagerly desire. The word there is zello, Z-E-L-O. What word does that make you think of? Zealous, Zealous right? Exactly. And that's what it means. It means to burn with zeal. He wants you to run after it as if you're on fire. <laughs> okay? To desire earnestly, to pursue, to strive after, to exert oneself for it, that it may not be torn from you. Very strong language here concerning how we're to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I remember hearing someone teach once on this very text and said, you could, you could um, replace the word eagerly desire with the word lust after, and it would be accurate. That level of intensity, of passion. He says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire, passionately, zealously desire the gifts of the Spirit. Run after love, like you're running for your whole life. And then with a passionate zeal, desire the gifts of the Spirit. Powerful language. And then of all the gifts of the Spirit, he, he identifies one above the others. He says, especially prophecy. Powerful, powerful language. Can you see in just these three chapters how Paul has unapologetically married love and the gifts of the Spirit? He's really knit them together extremely well. They're inseparable. I think they're biblically inseparable. Then why hasn't that been our experience? <laughs> if that's the case, I think it's a really good biblical argument there that the gifts and love are absolutely intertwined. Just verse 14 alone. Why hasn't that been our experience? For far too long. <laughs> Love and prophetic ministry have been strangers. So, let <laughs> me get a show of hands. How many of you, at some point in your Christian journey, had a bad experience with prophetic ministry? <laughs> right? At least half the room, yeah. Right? Somehow... You've been hurt, you've been insulted, embarrassed, maybe you've been misled by either an inaccurate word, or worse yet, a harsh word. Somebody said something that was uncovering to you. It was less than loving. You know, in the same way that many um, unchurched people have a negative perspective of Christians, a lot of Christians have a real negative perspective of prophetic ministry. Many pastors I know <laughs> would prefer not to have prophetic ministry in their church. Because they've had prophetic people, and they're messy. They could be really messy. And most pastors, honestly, we don't like messy. When things are messy, our job gets harder. Now, I think God is into messy. I think he likes messing things up sometimes. But there has been, for most of my walk, this clash that seems to happen between 
the pastors and prophetic people. I'm not the only one who's noticed that, right? Maybe you've been on one side of that clash or the other. I think the journey God's had me on personally has been a unique journey where I function in both gifts and he just almost endlessly placed me in a position where I had the privilege to pastor prophetic people. And so I think it gives me a unique perspective. It's not like I'm on one side or the other. I see the strengths of both. I see the weakness and the failings of both. Some prophetic people have a really bad reputation that they've worked really hard to earn. (laughs) They've just done foolish things. And so instead of being known by love, they're known as people who make trouble. You know, I think it's time for this to change. Matter of fact, I think the whole church, capital C, around the world, I think we are living in a moment of radical change. I think, I think Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I think the expression of the church in the world is in a huge state of flux. Wonderful author and speaker, church historian, scholar, uh, Phyllis Tickle, refers to it as the great emergence, that the church goes on these 500-year cycles, and we're in the midst of another one. I think she's right. Arthur Burke says the same thing a different way. From Romans chapter 12, he looks at the at the seven redemptive gifts of the Spirit that are listed there, and he equates it to seven church ages, and how, what God did and how God did what he did throughout the ages, and that we're in a new age now. We've, we've shifted from a ruler emphasis to a mercy emphasis. Radical change. I think sometimes that many of the... Um, Amazingly gifted prophetic people in the world today were raised up in a ruler model. It was all about building. It was all about structure. It was all about rules or regulations. And they find themselves in a difficult position of shifting in this, in this season of flux and change to, instead of a ruler emphasis, a mercy emphasis. I think we're living in this unfolding time. And maybe that's why we have eyes to see, or, or why I have eyes to see. And I can look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in a way I've never really seen them before. Instead of just seeing them as independent, isolated chapters, this one speaks about the gifts, this one speaks about love, to see how, uh, from a different perspective how they're absolutely intertwined. The times, they are changing. And I think it's good. Now, not to be too hard on prophetic people, there are reasons why some of them behave the way they do. They've been grossly misunderstood their whole life. They live differently. Anybody here ever work night shift? Have you ever been on night shift for like a really long time? When you're on that night shift, do you feel like you're fighting against the whole world? Right? Everything everybody else is doing is on a different schedule than you. And it, nothing feels like it fits right. Well, that's a little bit of a picture of what, it, what it's like to grow up as a person that has a seer gift or has a strong revelatory gift. 
You just look at the whole world differently than everybody else does. And you feel often like, I just don't fit in. They experience lots of pain because of that, lots of rejection because of that. You know? My friend Jim tells a story where he's sitting in a meeting one day and he, he's looking and there's this tree in the middle of the room. He sees by the spirit and there's this low-hanging fruit. And if he grabs, he knows that if he grabs the orange piece of fruit and eats it, that there'll be anointing to pray for people and they'll be healed that night. And so he's in this dilemma now. He knows that nobody else in the room is seeing what he's seeing, but he feels this, this urge from God to do it. And he has to choose. That's what it's like to be revelatory people. How do I respond to what I see when nobody else is seeing it? They won't understand what I'm doing. And I got to tell you what, as somebody who sees things, trying to explain it to people, <laughs> not always easy. Because you, you wrestle with this thought, they're going to think I'm crazy. And about 75% of the time, they really think you are. <laughs> So they live a lifetime of being misunderstood. And that hurt and that pain, that rejection, sometimes it, it filters their vision of God and distorts the ability to communicate God's heart along with his words. And then on the other side, you know, a little less innocent, like with anybody else, you know, prophetic people are not immune to ambition, or pride, or fear, desperately wanting to be recognized and to fit in, to be validated. So they say things. Sometimes maybe they say more than they should. Or sometimes they say more than God's saying. Or they don't say it with God's heart. It's time for change. It's time for this to change. I think one of the things that God's called me to do is uh, help prophetic people with that, to love them through that process, to understand them and take them from where they are to help them go where God wants them to go. I consider it a privilege. It's time for change. Let's talk about love just for a little bit. Um, there's a great website. I highly recommend it. I've recommended it before called ancient-hebrew.org. Ancient-hebrew.org. And um, Brenner. Brenner or Bremer? I can't remember the, the guy who runs the site. has done just an amazing job of researching ancient Hebrew and the meaning of, of biblical words as they were written in the ancient text. Ancient Hebrew is a pictorial language. It's like similar to Egyptian hieroglyphics. And, what's, and if you're a seer, if you're someone who, who sees things in the spirit, it makes so much sense to understand the pictorial language. If you see things, you have to interpret what you see and then communicate what you see. Well, the ancient Hebrew language was based on that. They could see a picture, if you can interpret the picture, you can understand the word. So there are lots of Greek words for love. There's, there's really one primary Hebrew word for love. And it's, the, uh, it's spelt um, A-H-A-Y. And, and you would say it this way, 
a have, a have. And it's made up of three pictorial images, three letters. An ox head, what looks like a tent floor plan, and what looks like a man with his arms raised, like this. Probably should have got your pictures of it, but didn't think of it till just now. <laughs> the ox head means strong or powerful leader. The tent floor plan pictorially means a house or family, an inclusive community, a place where people come in and have community together. And, and the man with the arms raised means to look or to reveal. Pay attention to my actions. So you put the three together, and in ancient Hebrew, love is strong. Love is inclusive. Everybody gets to come in, be part of the community. And love is demonstrative. It's demonstrated by our actions. It fits so well with Jesus. Jesus was strong. Jesus welcomed in the people everybody else shunned, right? And he expressed his love for people demonstratively. Not only did he heal the sick, not only did he hang out with sinners, he went to the cross. And what did he say? He said, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love demonstratively, if you love in strong and powerful ways, if you love in a way that makes people feel like they're included in the community. This includes prophetic people. Prophetic people, like all Christians, ought to be known by love. So it's my belief I share with you that true prophetic ministry if you're taking notes today you want to write this down might be the most important thing I say if you forget everything else remember this I think true prophetic ministry is other focused and love driven true prophetic ministry is other focused and love driven we don't have gifts of the Spirit. We give gifts of the Spirit. If God's put a, an anointing on me for prophetic ministry, I get to give that gift to other people. It's not about how gifted I am. It's about how blessed they are to receive the gift. Right? Today is my father's 70th birthday. We're going to go and see him. He's going to be excited about the gift that his kids give him. It's about him today. It's not about us who brings the gift. Then he'll be happy to see his children. That's what prophetic ministry is like. We've been anointed to give gifts. It's more about how loved the recipient feels than how impressive we look. You know? I think that's prophetic ministry that's other-focused and love-driven. Jim Driscoll says that the purpose of prophecy is to express God's love. I think he's right. That the purpose of prophecy is to express God's love. I would take it even further and say this. If it's not loving, it's not truly prophetic. 
if it's not loving, it's not prophetic. First Corinthians 14, right, my main text today, follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. If you go on, to ver- that's verse 1. Verse 3 says, but the one who prophesies speaks for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That sounds loving to me. If I get to give a gift to another person, it strengthens them. It comforts them. It encourages them. That sounds like love. That's what the one who prophesies is supposed to do. So consider this. Track with me here. Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, right? You've all heard of that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If we want Jesus, we, we sang this morning, we cried out this morning for Jesus. I think that's the, the part of our morning when I most heavily could feel the presence of God in the room, when we were just singing his name. So if I understand verse, chapter 19, verse 10 of Revelation, if we want Jesus, the spirit of prophecy comes with it. Like it or not, <laughs> it's a package deal. I don't think we can separate them. I don't think he ever wanted it that way. So Revelation 19 says that the spirit, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Most of you are familiar with 1 John 4, 8, that just simply and clearly states God is love. So if God is love, And if the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, how can anything coming from God or associated with him be void of love? I I don't think it can. He is love. It's the essence. It's the nature of who he is. Every gift that gets expressed needs to have love in it, be infused with love, the love behind it. First Corinthians 13, 1 and 2 just makes this really clear. Concerning the use of the gifts of the Spirit and love, Paul writes, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If that wasn't clear enough, he just drives it home in verse 2. He says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move, remove mountains, but do not have love? Nothing. Nothing. Who? Sobering words. Listen to me. If it's not loving, it's not God. If it's not loving, it's not Him. It's not enough to communicate the words of God without the heart of God. Not only is it not enough, it's dangerous. It's damaging. It's destructive. The church has suffered at the hands of people who would speak the words of God without the heart of God. To do so, to speak his words without his love, misrepresents 
God to the church and to the world. I think it's a huge part of the reason why so many people view God as the angry judge and not as the loving father that he truly is. He's been misrepresented. He's been misrepresented by by prophetic people, but by the church as a whole, I think. It really brings to mind for me Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And he says to them, Plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's really possible to speak someone's words without someone's heart. Have you ever gotten an email? Have you ever sent an email that was misunderstood? That you wrote it and your heart was in this position and the person who read it, read it in a very different spirit? It's easy to do. When, we, when I taught the class here on training for prophetic evangelism outreach, um, I used this example. I remember years ago watching a, a game show. Like a, it was, it was kind of like, um, it was kinda like a, an American Idol type show where people compete. But they had people competing as actors and actresses. And so they'd have a, a, a gal and a guy come up and read a script, you know, perform, act out a script together. And then they'd have another couple come up, other contestants, and read the same script. I remember sitting there watching this, and the first couple comes out, and they act out the script in a very lighthearted and loving, uh, almost flirty kind of way. It was pretty entertaining. They did a good job. The next couple came out, and with the exact same script, they didn't change a word. It was confrontational and angry and aggressive toward one another, sarcastic. I was like, wow, how amazing is that? You could take the same words written by the same person and interpret them two very different ways. I think that's what happens with a lot of prophetic ministry. We speak the words of God, not the heart of God. It's got to change. What does this have to do with the presence of God? If we speak the words of God without his heart, I think it can change the atmosphere in such a way that we don't engage him in his presence. We can cower from him. We can hide from him. If words are spoken and they produce shame or fear or guilt, or coercion. You want to run from that. You don't want to run to that. But if it's hard spoken, if it's hard spoken, and even if it's hard words, you could say hard words in an extraordinarily loving way. Every parent here knows that. Right? There's sometimes we have to say hard things to our kids. But we could say it with tenderness. We can say it infused with grace and with love. They can change their heart. It may make them cry, but they're crying on your shoulder as opposed to cowering and hiding in a corner, crying by themselves. 
I desperately want to see prophetic ministry transform. I want to see people who can not only communicate the words of God, but communicate the heart of God. I think we ought to be known as messengers of hope and ambassadors of love. That's what I think prophetic ministry is supposed to be. We ought to communicate hope to people. Is there anyone in this room, is there anyone in Suffolk County that couldn't use more hope in their life? Is there anyone who couldn't use more love in their life? We have an amazing privilege to be able to serve in that capacity. If it's at the Spoon Coffee House on Tuesday night or the, you know, the Pub 1901 on Monday night, we get to, that's how we get to be light and darkness. Personally, I believe the day of the angry prophets is over. There may be angry prophets out there who don't know it. <laughs> but I think it's over. I think it's way past time that we reject an Old Testament model of prophetic ministry. And that we embrace a new covenant, merciful, gracious, loving model of prophetic ministry. Maybe then pastors and church people won't flinch when they see us coming. <laughs> you know? One last thought. I think another sign of truly healthy prophetic ministry is the word, it was the verse that was communicated this morning during worship, the scripture verse. From 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But the, the word you spoke this morning, Mike, wasn't that it? Where the Spirit of the Lord is? Yeah. We, we didn't, uh, we didn't correlate our, uh, our messages. That was just God thing. I think another sign of truly healthy prophetic ministry is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So does the presence of prophetic gifts in our midst foster freedom? Or are the gifts used as a weapon <laughs> to shame people, to guilt people? to coerce, to manipulate, to frighten people, to control people. Any, is there one of us here that haven't felt controlled by a prophetic word? No. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. So here's a dipstick test. You know what a dipstick is? You, you see how much oil is in the engine, right? Put the stick in there, you pull it out, you see what the oil level is, right? So here's a, here's a simple dipstick test for you concerning... Love and prophetic ministry. The next time you receive a prophetic word from someone, check your dipstick. <laughs> did, you ex did you experience the love of God? Did it foster freedom? Did you experience the love of God as a result of that word? And did it foster freedom? Did it increase freedom in your life? Next time you give a prophetic word to someone, did they experience the love of God? And does it help set them free? Jesus came to set captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to declare 
the year of God's favor and to set free those who are, who are captive. That will be the fruit of any time that we experience his gifts operating in our midst. That we experience the love of God and it fosters freedom in our lives. So let's pray. Lord, would you make us more like you? Would you make us more like you today? Lord, we are lovers of your presence. I ask that your presence would come and that you would do in us and for us what we're just unable to do ourselves. And that's make us like you. And Lord, I'm focusing on this one gift today because it seems to be how you focused in my life. And so specifically, I ask you today, for myself, for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, would you put to end the day of the angry prophet? And instead, would you change us and transform us and make of us messengers of hope and ambassadors of your love? Lord, I ask that you would stir up the gifts of your spirit in our midst, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would communicate to us loudly, boldly, clearly. And I pray, Lord, that as your life, as your presence, as your spirit is filtered through us to the world, that the biggest portions that they experience would be an infusion of hope and that they experience your lavish, lavish and extravagant love for them. Use us in that way. Do that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So... I just kind of feel some revelatory gifting getting stirred up this morning. I just want to share, let me model this for you. <laughs> let me share this with you. That, yeah, it really can't work this way. And so, you know, the strongest thing I see, and maybe it's because Phil's just sitting in that one chair right in the back of the room. I got a straight shot looking at him from here. Phil, brother, I want to tell you this, that your best days are ahead of you. God has had his hand on you your whole life from the moment he knit you together in your mother's womb, his hand has been on you and he's communicated to you. And you've had an opportunity to, to do great and wonderful things. But I got to tell you, man, I think that the best, you, even with all the good stuff you have experienced, the best days are ahead and not behind. Um, I just see the hand of God that's on you, his favor on your life, that his blessing is on your life, that he's, that, um, he's, he's going to enlarge the place of your tent. He's going to stretch your tent curtains wide. And then he's going to fill that tent. You know, as grand as your vision is, and it's grand vision, he's going to expand it and make it even bigger. There are, there are good days ahead, man. There are some really good days ahead. That's his heart for you. That's what I see when I look at you today. And Donna, I was looking at you before the service, and, um, and, I, and this is what I had sensed, that the Lord has been with you all every day of your life. And, you know, we're friends, and so, you know, we know each other, and I know some of your story. But this is what he was showing me, that in some of the darkest days that you had to walk through, that you were never alone, that he never forsook you, he, he never left you, that he was always by your side. There were times that it was so hard you couldn't feel him there. But what I was able to see in the spirit this morning, I was sitting right where Phil is now. I was looking at the back of your head, and I could see that in those hard times, in those really dark times, that he was right there with you. 
and that he loves you, and that there is, um, and that there's great justice that's, that's due for you, and that I think, um, and this is your heart's desire, that this justice is going to be expressed upon your children and on your grandchildren, that you've paid a price, and they're going to benefit for it. That's, that's what I see. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like God, right? Yeah, and Anna, I'm just reminded of something I shared with you a long time ago. I, are you going back to Brazil soon? No? Okay. Because there's something there for you. I think I've told you this in the past, but it's just come strong to me now. There's like a, a deposit and inheritance that's been waiting for you. It's something that's been in your family and on your family. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. And it's just been sitting there and just waiting for you to come and to pick it up. Um, that, you know, boy, when God made you, he did such a good job, you know. He did. You're awesome. You're amazing. You know, prayer warrior, just an amazing lover, you know. Paul is so lucky to have you. Yeah. <laughs> he is. And I just have a sense that God, that his, his pleasure is on you, and his presence is with you. And it's like there's this gift, there's this prize, there's this treasure that's been waiting for you. And the, I think the next time you go back to Brazil, you're going to be able to pick that up and take that home with you. And it'll be just a... Just a treasure. Just a, a, a blessing for you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. Thank you, Lord. And we have a visitor today, Ray. I got to meet Ray before the service. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're here with us today. And, um, and I just see, you know, when I look at you, I just see a strong man, a really strong, um, powerful man, um, not only just in your physical stature, but in the spirit. I see that you have... Um, you know, just a significant leadership ability upon you. It's almost like coming out from your shoulders like these two uh, platforms and that uh, you have, um, you've carried heavy loads and you, the loads that you've carried has been other people yeah, and how you've loved them and you've cared for them and you've carried them. God's given you just an amazing capacity to do that. And um, you would carry them when they... They couldn't walk on their own anymore. And um, you, you are truly a, a picture. In your community, you're a picture of the Father's heart. And, and that's good. I just want to add to that, Ray, that I, I feel like the Lord, there's been things, um, not like you've been held back in any way, but there's things in your heart that you want to move into. And I feel like the Lord is saying he's about to launch you yeah. into uh, new things. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Phil was saying that. It was kind of what it looked like to me. is like, um, you know, one of those big fireworks on, from the 4th of July. It's like, it's like the fuse is lit. And before you know it, it's, a, it's just about to be an explosion of light and power that everybody's going to see. Make it so long. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's good. That's good. And Steve, I'm looking at you from the back of the room, and and I'm reminded of something from my childhood. One of the most exciting moments in my young life was when my dad took the training wheels off of my bike. And I got to ride my bicycle by myself for the first time without training wheels. I remember I was just absolutely overjoyed. And the bike was just a little bit too big for me, but, you know, I'd been practicing and and Dad had been watching. And so I got on the bike without the training wheels, and he did the typical Dad thing. He had one hand on the back seat, and I'm going and I'm going. And the next thing I knew, I was riding the bike. And I just feel like this is that moment in your life uh, concerning spiritual things. The training wheels are off. And, you know, Dad is smiling over you. His hand has been on you. He's been with you. He's been helping you along the way. And he's just celebrating. You're taking this, whatever this next step is, uh, you know, of independence in the most positive way, getting a ride on your own. Buddy, I think it's just simple as this. The training wheels are off, you know. And God's, God's letting you go and letting you ride. You know, really good stuff. Really good stuff. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. And then, you know, just as an overall sense, just for the whole church, for, for the Mosaic uh, Vineyard Church uh, this morning, I could see, as I look over the room, I could see what looks very much like a, like a, um, like a force field, or like a, like a bubble that's over the top of us. And it's, and it's, not, been to, um, it's not been to restrict us or keep us in, but as his, as his covering, you know, over us uh, in this land and, and in this place. And it's transparent. It's invisible. It doesn't keep other people out. It just allows us the ability to, to operate and function in um, challenging and difficult environments and allows us to continue to move forward. And so the picture I see is this, is that that bubble is expanding that's getting bigger and stretching out in all directions. It's going out in, in 360 degrees around, and it's getting up higher, and it's going down deeper. And it's good. This is the verse that comes to mind. You know, from Ephesians chapter 3, that we would know how high, how deep, how wide, how far is God's love. It's a picture of his love on us. So can, can you see how <laughs> prophetic ministry and love really can play nice together? It really can. And so would you do that? Everything that was shared today that was really you, would you do exactly that in people's lives today? Would you do that for them, Lord? I pray that you'd breathe on us. Yeah, that, that bubble I was seeing is almost like, Lord, blow up the balloon. Let your breath fill that area and just expand us in all directions. Breathe on us with your spirit. Enlarge the place of our tent. Let us know individually. Let us know as a community the boundless expressions of your love. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome day today. If anybody needs personal ministry, please come down. We'll be happy to pray for you.